Hey, Masters! Welcome to another episode of the People of Eternia podcast. I'm your host, Tom Romero, and with me today is a special guest. He was the brand manager for Mattel, helped create Masters of the Universe Classics, and is currently the CEO of Spectre Creative. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Scott Knightlick. Hi, Scott. Hi. Hey, Tom. It's great to be back. Thanks for having me again. Of course, of course. So we're here to talk about Netflix new show, Masters of the Universe Revelations. It was released July 23rd. Mixed reviews. And I just want to put out a couple of things. Spoilers. We're going to be talking a lot about you know stuff that's already happened. And just please remember whether you like it or hate it, you know, if you love it, great. It's there for you. If you dislike it, you know, just be respectful. Hopefully part two will be more of your liking. So at the core of Masters of the Universe, it's always been that you can make your own canon. You don't have to adhere to anybody else's canon. You know, I mean, part of Motu was you can create your own adventures. You have all these wonderful characters. You could do whatever you like with them. So Scott, I know on your YouTube channel, you've already given your review, but if you could just rehash it, I mean, what did you think of the show? Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, you can see that on Spectra Creative on YouTube. You can just search for that. So yes, yeah, spoiler warnings and all that. Darth Vader is Luke's father, okay? Um, <laughs> All right, so let's see. Crying game, she's a he or he's a she. Okay, um, I liked it. Um, honestly, you know, I tried to go in as like blank as possible. Um, I just wanted to see what they were doing. For the record, I didn't care for the recent Shira series, as that you know, to the fact that, like I don't just like all you know, Motu, you know, He Man stuff, Shira stuff, put out there. Right. Um, but you know, I also went in knowing that, you know, my, my, my pre-thoughts were, if anything, were just that this was a one-off show. Um, it was 10 episodes. Um, originally, I was under the impression that it was a sequel to Filmation. And we'll probably get into that, why some of us thought that. Um, but, bef- like, almost days before it aired, I learned correctly that it was not a sequel to Filmation um, for both legal and story-wise. And I understand why also from working on the brand, why it can't be. Um, And we can get into that. So knowing now that it was not a sequel, um, that it was just a standalone 10 episode, basically He-Man movie, more or less, just broken up into 10 episodes. um, I was like, all right, bring on more Motu content. Let's check this out. And, you know, for a He-Man story, like for the first part, yeah, the the animation was gorgeous. The uh, music was great. Um, the stories, it was all, it was very original. Um, you know, it was definitely a different take on the brand, but I'm all for that because one of the things I I talk about in my Spectra creative review on YouTube is, um, you know, I, I, I view masters of the universe as a multiverse. Tim Seeley is the one who really put this out there in his DC comic book, He-Man and the masters of the multiverse. And you know, it's not just, you know, the lazy man's description that like, oh, everything's a multiverse. Loki is a multiverse. Right. Um, it's that you can't rectify things like the original 82 mini comics and Gwildor driving a pink Cadillac. 
Like, there's no way those are the same thing. So you just have to think of like, and, and like the classics. Classics was not meant to be the be-all, end-all continuity. It was meant to be its own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, it was based on 2000X, which was based on Filmation. So previous versions inspire new versions, but you know, they're like, they, you know, there are things that happen in classics that contradict other things. Um, you know, the German radio play or audio drama, you know, contradicts filmation. I mean, it's like you, with that, uh, you know, background going into it, I was like, all right, cool. And there were a lot of surprises. Um, you know, Tila definitely took the lead in the first half. I hear mm-hmm. that she won't be as much the lead in the second half, but I also, one of the things I said in my Spectre creative review review was not only did I view it as a one-off, but, you know, in a way it was kind of like a spin-off or almost like a what if. And under that pretense, it's like, wow, that's like really cool. Okay. Well, spoiler alert here, you know, like He-Man gets killed in the first episode. And the last. And the last. Well, sort of. I mean, does he get killed or does he just get more, you know, only a flesh wound. Um, So, you know, I almost thought it was like, you know, what if Skeletor killed He-Man? Like, what would happen? Like, that's a cool concept for a story. Right. And um, one of the things I experienced being brand manager to Classics, which I also tried to push Classics forward, meaning, or push the brand forward. Like, the end goal of Classics was to get to the son of He-Man and the son of Skeletor, where mm-hmm. He-Man's an old man and Skeletor is a ghost. And there was a lot of pushback on that, too, because... You know, it's like Garth said in Wayne's World, you know, we are fans, we hate change or we fear change. So it's the same thing. It's like every time, you, you know, fans just want He-Man versus Skeletor. And if it's not He-Man versus Skeletor, whatever it is that's not bad is right. like that. Um, well, I think, and you mentioned on this before, I think it was marketed wrong. I don't believe that this is a continuation of Filmation, which is mistake number one on their part. You yeah, know, I mean, I yeah, I like the fact that you said it was a multiverse, and I, and I'm totally fine with that. However, you know, there's a lot of upset people. I mean, for me personally, I found a lot of problems with the story itself. The dialogue was sounded too earthy, if that's a word. But and you know, some of the characters actually just took me out of the whole story. Yeah, like what I mean, what did you think of it before we I mean I gave my Oh yeah, yeah. So basically, like I said, the marketing was off. Um I, I enjoyed the first episode, it was exciting. I think it was a bit rushed, especially the way He Man was interacting. I mean, right now, you know, the whole universe is about to be destroyed, and I don't know, I keep thinking where's Zodak? You know, we <laughs> lots and lots of Easter eggs, which is great. Although I, I believe that a lot of characters we've never seen before were just underused. You know, you had the ceremony with Tila. She was about to become the new man at arms. That would, would have been a great opportunity to sneak in Ram man or Manny faces or Rio blast or Extendar. So things like that. Um, I know that's really a, a little bit of a nitpick and I understand that, but it, I'm, I'm thinking they missed out on a great opportunity. Um, Andra as a character, she kind of took me out of the show and, you know, I hope I'm not upsetting any females out there, but she was more like street level, not 
not in that turning away. And then they were making fun of He-Man's dialogue. Like he was like, oh, Skeletor, you're all wet. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's fun and stuff. But if this is a more adult take on Masters of the Universe, maybe they could have toned that down a little. Well, see, I like how they said the reason He-Man talks like that is because he's just he's a teenager. Right. You know, like it's like the Billy Batson kind of thing, um, which right. like I get it. To me, the dialogue I really had issues with were like condom jokes and Catholic jokes. Yeah. They, they referred, there was like a glove of gobular or something, which I think is just named producers of the show. If I caught that at the end. Um, and Andra makes, a, she says, no glove, no love. Right. Like, are you effing kidding me? Like what you're making? And, and Triclops has his, you know, um, cult of technology, which was cool. That was an interesting take. Yeah. Yeah. It's an, it's an interesting approach. But, like, they made Catholic jokes, you yeah. know, like the, the holy sprocket, like, like, I, I don't, you know, it, it, that kind of took, and, and, and they made Star Wars quotes. Oh, like, yeah. There was even, times. yeah, Tila even says a quote from Shakespeare. What does she, what does she say? I might have missed that. Um, she, I mean, she adjusted it. Uh, basically, it was, let's slip the, dogs, slip of the dogs of war. Yeah, 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 yes, that's right, yes. Um, so that's, yeah, uh, Richard the Third. Um, yeah. So yeah, we all know that Shakespeare's best read in the original Klingon. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and it's like yeah, throw in the bag of money. Sorry about the mess. Right. Um, so that stuff kind of took me out of it. Um, I mean, I I mean, I'm kind of guilty of that too. Like in the mini comics, uh, mini comic five or six, um, when He Man and Shira storm into Horde Prime's lair or like control center. Mm-hmm. Uh, He-Man goes, um, it's over, Prime. And I was quoting Megatron from the Transformers movie, but it kind of worked a little bit more, maybe. Right. You know, like, people might not have realized that I was quoting Transformers. Um, I mean, he because, you know, He-Man walking into a room and saying, it's over, Prime, could have worked just on that level. Right. Um, now, as, yeah. far as, as far as characterization, you know, I felt it wasn't Tila. I mean... If she was this upset over Adam's secret, could you imagine what she's going to be like when she finds out the sorceress is her mother? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, like, let's talk about that for a second. Because, like, between her reaction and Randor's was supposed to yes. be the revelation, right? It was supposed to be the impetus behind. And it's like, I got that they wanted to use that as the jumping point for the story. And I feel like it was rushed, like, if they wanted her and Randor to feel betrayed, they could have pulled that off better with something like the fact that, you know, like man at arms had like deliberately kept this information. Exactly. I mean, it was kind of, I mean, it was there, but if it's going to be so much that Randor's going to scream at him and Tila's going to throw her tiara on the floor. Yeah. Like I, yeah, it felt like just no reaction. Yeah. Yeah, like make it a real rationale for why you feel betrayed, you know, lied to all these years, you know, and I love that Marlena knew. That was awesome. Yes. You know, well done. um, But that's another thing. Do you think they were giving away hints too fast? Like, oh, look, this is just like filmation. Marlena knows 
Duncan's about to announce that or tell Tila that the sorceress is her mother. Like, are they letting all the tricks out of the bag, so, so to speak? Uh, you know, yes and no. I mean, like, you know, Marlena had to do that whole, like, you know, be careful, my son thing when, you know, in order to get the payoff that she was upset later. But that could have also played into Randor because learning that, like, Man-at-Arms allowed Adam to be put in danger like this could have been part of, like, you let my son, like, carry around this giant and, like, fight the overlord of evil? Are you insane? He's 13. Like, I mean, I don't know how, 16, I don't know how old he's supposed to be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, they played a lot of cards and very quickly. And compared to, like, some of the later episodes in the first run, like the Scareglow episode, there was, like, a lot of, like, unused screen time that it's, like, you almost could have stretched the first episode out into two. Right. You know, like, the way they rushed Game of Thrones at the end. Like, or, you know, just... Why did it have to be five episodes? Make it six episodes, or make, you know, make it twelve instead of ten. If you need that time right. to tell the story, um, you know. Now let me ask you this: So, Castle Grayskull, the the facade itself was just an illusion. Now, in your mini comics, you actually blew up Castle Grayskull. Does I did? Does Mattel not like Castle Grayskull anymore? Or no, no, I think it's. It, it, you know, it, it's like blowing up Asgard or blowing up the Razor Crest. Okay. That in order to move storylines forward, you have to take things away from the heroes. You know, like I love that Asgard got blown up. It was perfect because now Thor can go do other things. He can join the Guardians of the Galaxy or he could go mope around and be drunk for five years. He couldn't do that if Asgard was still around. Um, you know, the, um, the Mandalorian had to lose the razor crest because that was symbolic of his life as a bounty hunter. And from what I'm, I'm extrapolating is that he has a hero's journey to go on. We're only at the very beginning of it where he's going to wind up being like the savior of Mandalore. Uh, you know, he's already got, now he has the magical weapon, the, the dark saber. And um, so uh, you know, it, losing the razor crest allows him to grow as a character. And in a lot of ways, we we as pop culture fans, and I've done actually a few videos on this. Some of them haven't gone live yet. Um, we don't like our, it's not that we don't like our characters to change, but like we don't even let them. You know, it's like we want Spider-Man to always be Peter Parker and to be, you know, you know, a 20 year old or something, or we always want, you know, Batman is, Batman should be like 90 years old or, well, no, 80 plus 30. Like he should be 120. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's like co- comic book characters and He-Man care. They're all frozen in time. And I like what I liked about this was that it moved. It, it did something new. It wasn't right. just He-Man versus Skeletor. They blew up the castle you know, they killed He-Man. They, you know, they, other people died, you know, like there were stakes. Oh, yeah, Moss Man, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, like smells like pine. That was kind of cheesy. <laughs> um, and <I> was, <laughs> the worst line was when Skeletor's on, on their boat, and he's like, oh, yeah. did granite or something. I'm like, what? See, and that's another thing. Skeletor was portrayed as such a wimp. I mean, he was standing there, He-Man threw a fish guy, and he just you know, went up against the boat. And then there was another scene where they're outside of Grayskull. And I, I think it was the sorceress that hit him with something. And he just plops down. You know, and so. 
I, I think he should have been more of a, you know, more of a tough guy instead of always taking those cheap shots, you know? I'm really curious. Is he Keldor in this? Like, I don't know. Like, you know, I, I got the, I didn't get the impression that he was, right. uh, you know, so, um, you know, again, you know, that's more, more fuel for the whole what if alternate universe thing. But yeah, I mean, his, and his dot, the dialogue, you know, like him saying, Merman and I have an unholy alliance. Like, what right. the fudge? You would never say that. Like, you, <laughs> like, what bad guy would... Like, that's something good guys say about the bad guys. It's not the way bad guys describe themselves. True, true. Now, here's something that uh, really upset me. We finally get to see Hero in all his animated glory. Oh. And... It, <laughs> I mean, for, a lot, for lack of a better word, he was a buffoon. He does not. He he grabbed both swords and he literally did this. Uh, why? I mean, it, <laughs> like I know they're trying to bring in humor for Marvel, but Hero is a he's a very valuable character. And, and how can I put this delicately? He was he was mistreated, in my opinion. You know, he should have been more important. I mean, he was he was the first one to get the sword. I mean. You know, but technically, he was the first one. He gave it to King Grayskull. Did and, he? Did they? I mean, that was classics. Did did that happen? Right. That's what that's what I'm alluding to. But I don't. Maybe it was in this timeline that King Grayskull had it. But I mean, for Hero just to go like this, that's that was just. I don't know. Just well, and they set him up earlier because someone said like the hero, like he's like the you know like yeah. Right. Grayskull might have been the first to use the sword, but Hero was like the best. Right. He was the Michael Jordan of, you know, sword thrusting or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It was it was cool though to see Bionatops in a in a you know uh, animated form. And I and here's I'm going to give points to. I did love the concept that the Attorney of Playset is their heaven. Yeah, that the whole preternia being heaven and subternia right. being hell. Like again, this was something I talked about in my review as something like, yeah, that's like different, but it works. Right. right. It, you know, like again, that totally contradicts classics, but it it also completely reinforces the idea of a multiverse. Or exactly. what if, which is how you should look at this because if you want it, if you're looking at this and we'll get into the whole marketing issue as, you know, a sequel to filmation or whatever, it's like, there's just too many con. I mean, my, my Roboto is a perfect example in filmation. Roboto came from outer space. Right. In this he's man at arms, Pinocchio, which is right. fine. Yeah. You know, how he was in 2000 X too. Um, exactly. So it's fine, but it's not, it's its own universe. It's its own story. And, the biggest complaints people having about like the wokeness, you know, and the, okay, I'll just be blatant. I didn't, I didn't get any of that from this. I mean, yeah, Tila had like a butch haircut, right. but her hissy fit kind of justified the fact that she wanted to like, you know, do something different with herself, her destiny, her haircut, whatever, you know, I don't know. Like, I will absolutely say there has been content, you know, in Star Wars. Re- I mean, Star Wars has been like, gets absolute, you know, the whole mansplaining. Oh, yeah. 100%. So I think everyone is so sensitive 
from Star Wars and Ghostbusters and even Charlie's Angels doing that, that they now think anytime a story has a female lead, it's wokeness. And right. that's not true. Like, Hunger Games wasn't, at least the first one, wasn't, it was a great female lead story. In fact, I actually did a video on this too on Spectre Creative. Hunger Games is the reason for all of this. Starters, right. All of like, Hunger Games making so much money and basically being the first movie in a long time to have a very aspirational, strong female warrior that was not running around in a bikini, right? Was not there for sexual, like, right. look, was just there to be badass or run this, make the story go forward. So Hollywood is like, oh my gosh, that works now. Every movie needs that, you know? So let's yeah. green light, you know, uh, oh, what was it? Allegiance or Alliance? Well, I can't even remember. It was like another young adult novel that was like a post-apocalyptic, but they only made like two of them because oh. they I know people are going to whatever, but like that, that's what that Ray is Katniss with a lightsaber. I mean, it's like the trickle right. from Katniss, but at the same time, not every female lead story is woke. And there's like having a female, like get killing of He-Man and having Tila run with the story doesn't make it woke. It makes it different. You know, woke would have been if they go around like I can do any, like I can do things better than boys. Men, or, you know, men don't deserve to be the leaders. Only women do. Screw men. Right. Like, there was I didn't I don't know. Was there male bashing that I missed? Uh, well, that scene on the on the boat. I think that was oh. you know when he's talking about you know you're all wet Skeletor. You know, I think that was a little bit harsh. Um, but that could have been chalked up to you know poor dialogue. Okay, and let's just call that male bashing, right? Let's right. say it was. Okay, one incident. One joke in five episodes. Like, right. you know, Star Wars was constantly like, you know, Poe, you suck. I'm not going to tell you the plan because you have a penis. Like, that was ridiculous. Right. I mean, it was blatantly ridiculous. And it's what, you know, or like that shot in Endgame when it's like, okay. Oh, all the women? Yeah. Over here. To, 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 like, no, battles don't work like that. Like, right. it, no, that took me out of the movie. That is wokeness. Right. Having Tila run with the story is just having to, I get that people say Masters of the Universe should be a He-Man centric brand. One, the last five episodes, from what I hear, are going to be very He-Man. And two, if you want He-Man versus Skeletor, you got 130 episodes of Filmation to watch. This was something different. That's the true. problem was the marketing, was that, that that's what the problem was. Right. That I, I wholeheartedly agree with. They should have never have said this was anything related to filmation. Or in any way a sequel to anything. Like, you know, because like then they try to twist it as like, oh, it's a sequel to like the general way the story worked in the 80s, whether it was your toys or your comics. They should have just called this an all new original adventure. Exactly. Exactly. Like, or a more mature adventure because one of the cool things was especially that scene where Merman pops up years later, he's missing an eye. He looks like he's a gutted fish. That was an interesting take. Um, the future of beast man, you know, he's the same way all cut up and stuff and protecting, you know, he's very loyal to evil Lynn. I don't know where that came from, but <laughs> well, and again, another thing that doesn't make it a sequel. Right, exactly. So it's like if you take that out, the marketing, and say that this was just a 
adult or, you know, aimed at the adult collector who, you know, who's been a fan of the brand, but it's just a cool original story. Right. You know, I, you know, I also said in my, my video, I would totally like that, you know, the, the concept of a spinoff has been around for decades, you know, uh, you know, Jody loves Chachi, Mork and Mindy, Laverne and Shirley, all spun off of Happy Days. Right. You know, Frazier spun off of Cheers. Joey spun off of Friends. Well, okay, bad example. But this, you know, this could, there's nothing wrong with the Tila show. Like, I would watch the Merman show. I would watch sure. the, Advent the Merry Adventures of Hero in Preternia. Like, there's a lot of spinoff shows that I would totally watch. So... And I agree with that. I don't have a problem with that. The problem is, like you said, the overall story, the dialogue, how fast they needed to get rid of He-Man, you know, and just here, let's take this look guy, for example. Now they did a scene where he was on Trala and he was Orko the Great on Trala. I don't know why his powers didn't work in, in this timeline, you know? And again, like you said, if we're considering it as an alternate timeline, yeah, that might make sense, but I think a lot of people are still holding on to that, like you said, the marketing, as far as this being a filmation continuation or spiritual, you know, sequel. Yeah, that, I mean, that, it's amazing how if you take that out, all of the oh, yeah. about it, like, becomes very diluted. And then if you just, I mean, yeah. There, there were dialogue issues. I thought there were some voiceover issues. Like, so I thought that you know, um, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer's Tila was not didn't work as well. Um, you know, but some of the voiceovers did. I mean, I thought Mark Hamill as Skeletor worked until he started quoting Emperor Palpatine, and that was just like, wait, Luke Skywalker just quoted Emperor Palpatine. That's kind of okay, surreal. Yeah. Um, Stephen Root, believe it or not, as Cringer. I don't know what it is, and I'm, I know I'm alone on this because I, I put it out on Twitter, and the only person responded to was actually Mark Hamill. I thought his delivery of when he's talking to Tila about who named him and, you know, Eternia is going to die. I thought that was a great performance. I, I don't know why I'm the only one, but I, I really think – yeah, I thought Stephen Root delivered that line. And and believe it or not, Krenger's lines were all very serious and made sense to the story. You know, another one I enjoyed was Scareglow. Seeing him and his performance was really right on shot. But I'll, I'll be honest with you. My favorite one, Man in Arms. You know, he he brought a, a very sense of gravitas to the to the character, I I feel. I've heard a lot of people saying that, you know, they've basically, you know, mailed it in, but I, I don't see it. I thought, I thought there was a lot of strong performances and I'll be honest with you. Evil Lynn, I thought was the best one. Just having, um, uh, oh my gosh, I'm calling her Queen Cersei. Um, <laughs> um, why am I blanking on the actress's name? Lena um, Headley. Lena Head I'm like, Lena, Lena, Lena. Yes. Yeah. She like really, yeah, she totally worked for Evil Lynn. I thought the stuff with her yes. on Orko was really great. Um, like when they're you know trapped in Subternia with uh, you know the whole Scareglow thing. Um, yeah, I mean you're you're basically you know get, not that you're not I mean you know, meaning just people are nitpicking at this one, but I, I think that the marketing campaign just did such a horrible job that it opened the door for like 
there's so many complaints that wouldn't exist if it was not for that. Like, right. what were they thinking? Like, I really want to know, you know, you knew legally, I mean, you, Mattel, you know, it's like I'm talking to Rob David and, and mm-hmm. Kevin or something, you know, like, and I know, like, Rob David and, and Ted Baselli from Netflix, like, I know both of them. Like, I used to go to Rob David's kids' birthday parties. Ted and I, I my wife and I used to go out with his, him and his husband to dinner all the time. Like, I know these people. So it's like, mm-hmm. they are people who know the brand, and I respect them. Um, you know, they're, they're friends of, I mean, not that they're not friends now, but, you know, I live across the country. They're not, you know, I don't keep in touch with them as well. But, like... Yeah, the, what? Why? Why would you ever call? You know, legally, you this you can't call this a filmation sequel because of the whole universal ownership. And boy, there you go. There's more like proof. Hello, internet. That like I've been telling people about universal owning this, and people are like, "Toy Guru is totally wrong." Like, no way. I'm like, yeah, no. I thank you. I was right. Like, I'm not making this stuff up. What possible motivation would I have? Um, so I, I kind of laugh about that. But yeah, it's like. They knew legally it can't be. They they can't use the elements, the music, you know, even even references are are kind of iffy. Yeah, um, I noticed that because I keep my wife's driving me crazy because every time I see it, I, I yell at the TV screen. So in the beginning, on that whole montage, you know, four people know Adam's secret, including Crenger now, but it's Crenger's secret also. So I was like, that has to be a legal thing. Yeah, Coke, like, or, you know, the, the way they redesigned Skeletor's hover robots. Right. Or, you know, like, it, it's like that rule with um, Paramount and Bad Robot with Star Trek. Okay. It had to be 20% different. Like, literally, that was in the oh, contract. Right. Uh, are you aware of that whole thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of what it felt like. So there you go. By saying it's four people who know your secret, now it's right. It's not legal, right. Yeah. Um, you know, and I mean, you know, there, there were Easter eggs, you know, Adam popping that bubble. You know, I have the power. Like, right. uh, um, you know, some of the Easter eggs were better than others. Um, but yeah, like if they just didn't market it that way, this so many of these complaints, like people, because they already are so angry from feeling betrayed by the marketing campaign, it just opens it up. It's like a, you know, an oh, open yeah. And so now things like the, the voiceover or, you know, the any other issues just becomes, I think, exponentially more because you've already dug yourself such a hole. Like, right. brings me back to the point. It's like, what were you guys thinking? Why would you do that? It's a, there's no benefit to that. None. Like, right. zero. The big bagel. Like, whatever. Now – the transformation sequence was always a big thing with me watching filmation. I love that whole montage of He-Man just, or Adam raising the sword, Castle Grayskull's in the background, all this energy is pouring on to him. Now, I found this online. Now, do you think that was also part of the, like, illegalese, not oh. to have something like this? Oh, totally. Yeah. Really? Okay. Absolutely. Like, they had to make sure the transformation was not the filmation transformation. I mean, I you know, I hate to say this, but it looked like Sailor Moon. Yeah, you know, I've heard, I'm not that I mean, I know who Sailor Moon is. <laughs> right. But like I don't think I've ever actually seen an episode of Sailor Moon. Like I just know Neither her. yeah, neither have I. I've seen clips of I think maybe my whole entire life I've seen one episode, but her transformation sequence is exactly the same. 
So I have, yeah, I'd have to like watch. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I'm sure it's on YouTube. Um, so yeah, I keep hearing people say that. What, so what they were obviously going for was they had to transform Adam um, in a way that was not filmation. filmation. Okay. And, you know, which again, makes so clear, again, internet, the fact that Universal owns He-Man and will own everything in 2023. Like stop burying your heads in the sand and pretending that's not true. Um, so doing things like having, you know, the, the, the wrist guards pop on the, right. the, great, the one, the weirdest one for me was like the furry shorts, like growing <laughs> like out from them. I was like, what? Right. Um, I, I hate the symbol. I do. But again, it's oh, another, okay. yeah, I mean that, that was the battle armor symbol, but like, I'm right. sorry. It has a red cross and it's not an iron cross. And you know, Symbols, like, I'm really big and I, I love symbols. Like, you know, the whole, I mean, you know, the way even, you know, Da Vinci Code or whatever talked about symbols and symbology. And it's like, they mean different things. I'm Jewish. I get that the Nazis used the Iron Cross, right. but so did the Vikings and so did the Romans and so did the Prussians in like the 1830s. Like, you know, the swastika is a Buddhist symbol that the Nazis inverted for their mm. own perverted needs. So it's like, Symbols mean multiple things. Right. But it's funny. Excuse me. It's funny you you mentioned that because I was talking to Joe Amato. He was on the show uh, a while ago. And he, he, I was the same way. I was like, it's He-Man. He was born with an Iron Cross. He should always have the Iron Cross. But then Joe mentioned something that really struck a nerve with me. He said, okay, take a board, put a giant S in red and a shield and a bat in front of a yellow uh, background. Okay. Or, or a spider with some red webbing. He's like, you know, that's Superman, you know, that's Batman, you know, that's Spider-Man. Okay. An iron cross means a lot of things to people that okay. battle armor symbol. People can associate that with He-Man. And I was like, boy, you're, that makes sense to me. All right. Hold on. I got, I ha- because I've been fighting this fight for, for, you know, 15 years now. And I, I wish Joe was here. I know Joe, you know, from going to PowerCon and stuff. All right. So here's my counter to that. Yes, you're right. That H could mean it could be, you know, the S shield. I mean, the bat symbol and the S shield for Superman are absolutely two of the most recognizable icons on the planet. Right. Let it be Coca-Cola. 100%. Spider-Man symbol, eh, a little bit, you know, Green Lanterns. You know, if you're a comic book nerd, you know what that means. I mean, Spider-Man symbol could just look like a spider. Um, You know, Fantastic Four, whatever. Here's the thing. Um, the Thundercats have an amazing symbol. Right. Perfect. Works on shirts, works on patches. This was one of the things we used to discuss at Mattel. And one of the problems with the brand is it doesn't have an icon. And they struggled with this a lot. You see it especially in the like Motu versus DC comic books like that came out five, ten years ago, like in the middle of classics. Um, like Rob David wrote a lot of those. Right. And he, he was literally tasked by his management to create a symbol for He-Man. And oh, I get why. And like, which is why you saw like in those DC comics, sort of them trying out all these different H's. Right. And in the new, in the other Netflix show, the end of the CGI one, He-Man has a symbol that's like an H and an M on his chest. Right. Right. They're trying artificially to create a symbol after the fact. Okay. And while I get that, the train left the station, Joe Amato. Train left the station in 82. 
If he had that on his chest from day one, bam, you got a He-Man symbol. Right. It's too effing late. You cannot change that. I'm sorry. I get why you want to, and I get why on paper that works as creating a symbol that can be owned by He-Man, but it's too late. It's been 40 years. You cannot create a symbol for a superhero 40 years later and pretend it's always been their symbol. I'm sorry. You just can't do it. To me, it's like, no, embrace the damn Iron Cross. You're right. You put that and people may not know it's He-Man. So use the face of Castle Grayskull or use something else. What One of the things that sucks about the brand a thousand percent is it has no icon. It su- totally sucks uh-huh. that it has no icon. Thundercats is the best icon in toys. It, better than G.I. Joe. It's got Thundercats is amazing. Bat, the bat symbol. One of the best symbols on the planet. You know what? You can't have it all. He-Man don't got no symbol. <laughs> so stop trying to pretend he does. <laughs> Just accept the fact that it sucks and move on. Well, here's something that now that we're on talking about the symbol, if you really look at it, He-Man's the only half-naked one besides Skeletor on that show. Now, I'm not looking for nudity, but... Man's if, kind of- yeah, that's true, too. But, okay, let, let's look at this. Okay, so he has the harness. If everybody's, like, in battle and stuff, why not draw him as battle armor He-Man? See, yeah, if you had done battle armor He-Man and put the H on, I would have been totally fine with that. Because, like, the shirt you're wearing, like, that's the battle right. armor symbol. And that's fine. But tra- putting that on the harness, retro, you know, retroactively, because you're either trying to be politically correct or trying to create an icon for a character who doesn't have an icon, what's Silver Surfer's icon? Are you going to put a surfer board on his chest so that he has an icon? Like, you know, it... it not every character has an icon. Not every character has visual powers. He-Man happens to have one of the most iconic transformations in pop culture. Right. Like, whenever I'm to clients, what I do at Spectra Creative, other than you know joining you for YouTube videos, <laughs> is I help coach and consult with people who have new IP and want to turn it into things like toy lines. Right. And I work. And one of the things I say is having build an icon in from day one, a bat symbol. And a visual transformation from form A to form B. Billy Bats into Shazam. Um, Green Lantern is a great one, you know, like especially in the Justice League Unlimited cartoon where Jon Stewart just like the uh, energy just like goes up his body and like he's now wearing the suit. Awesome. He-Man, Filmation had, did it, they may not have an icon, but they damn got the best transformation in pop culture. Yes, they did. You know, so... Why can't his icon be a silhouette of him going like this? Everyone knows what that means. Like, you know, there's other ways of doing it. And, you know, like, look at Michael Jordan. You know, the whole, you know, Air Jordan thing where he's, like, in this pose, you know? Like, an icon doesn't have to be a bat symbol. And you have to think outside the box here. And I totally forgot how we got on this, but I'm ranting. (laughs) Oh, no, no. Please do. So, okay, let's... Let's continue on with the marketing. So this is basically Mattel's way of selling toys. So let's take a look at the toys real quick. Do you think the toys should have been released earlier prior to the show? Because a lot of people are looking for that stuff right now and they're having a hard time. You know, you see these pop-ups in Walmart right now and there's no toys. 
So uh, from a marketing perspective, because you're an expert in that, do you think they should release the toys prior to the show? Here's the, okay. There's a big difference between could have and, or, sh- or like, you know, should have. Okay. Go back. There's a difference between should have and could have. And let me explain. So let's go back to 2001 with 2000X, right? He-Man had been off the market for about 10 years. Right. And they made this big push to retail. The Masters Universe is back. It's you know going to be big with kids again. You know, Sure, there might be some collectors, but we all know that doesn't count anyway because there's so few of them for any brand, despite mm-hmm. what we all think. <laughs> and... Um, you know, blah, blah, blah. We have new entertainment, a brand new feature where, you know, there's a chip in the guy's foot and it opens the castle. No one's ever seen that before. Ooh, action feature, brand new. There's your, everyone's got to have a gimmick. Um, so they can get placed at retail. Lo and behold, the brand totally bombs at retail because kids think a guy running around in a furry underwear is weird. And the only people who like 2000X are the adults. So great, not strong enough to keep the brand at retail. Brand dies. The last time He-Man was at retail, the action figures were packed with VHSs. Just think about that for a moment. Retail is very fickle. You know, it's like the whole elephant never forgets, or what does Merman say? The sea never forgets. Right. So retail also never forgets. And when a brand performs poorly, retail is like, we're done. No more. So you don't get another chance for like 10, 15 years, and it better have like a major movie behind it if we're going to give you another shot. So what I'm picturing is um, Mattel pitching to retail that they're bringing back Motu, and the way they get Walmart, the world's biggest retailer, on board is – and things would have been so different if Toys R Us still existed. People don't realize that. Um, Or they do, and you know it doesn't get enough – say so they basically tell walmart we're going to give you an exclusive window on the first motu line at at retail which is origins and then when the content comes out a year later we'll transition into the new content um style and you'll also get a first to market window on that so that's how walmart agreed because they knew that if somebody wanted a He-Man toy, they'll go to them and only them. Okay. That was sort of like, you know, <laughs> you want to talk about a um, unholy alliance, not that Walmart or Mattel are unholy, but that's a perfect example um, of like, that was the deal made, but it hurt the sales and the brand terribly because with Origins, that meant Walmart got first to market. They placed their entire order against the first wave which meant they got too much of wave one. Mattel wants to go into production on wave two and three. They're not allowed to sell it to anyone in the U.S. because of the Walmart contract and window. So the only people they can sell it to are overseas. So that's why Canada and Europe gets tons of wave two. Then by the time other retailers like Target can get it, um, the the only thing that they can go into production on is what Target – orders from an MOQ standpoint and target doesn't order enough to justify a full wave. They only order enough to justify two characters. So, so Mattel says, okay, well, um, since you're the, the order only justifies two characters, we'll give you the two most popular characters. And if kids had been into the brand, it would have sold, 
The problem with Origins is it's a total sofa vet brand. It's not a collector brand. It's not a kid brand. It's like this weird thing in the middle. Hmm. So my interpretation has always been that Origins was a placeholder to get Revolutions and more so the CGI cartoon show product. Right. That's the golden apple. That's what the re- that's what should really sell because right. the big sales are to kids. All of this is just a placeholder. If they could just hold those pegs for a year until the CGI show product is available. So the problem is, is that like, yeah, they, they sh- like they had no other choice but to give Walmart this exclusive window because without Walmart, they would have never gotten an order big enough to justify production. Okay. Maybe they would have been smarter taking the Maddie collector route and selling origins online only as a monthly subscription. Because the only people buying Origins are really the adult collector. I mean, yeah, there's some kids have gotten it, but it's it's infants. It's so small. But the reason Origins isn't doing well at retail is because there's not enough collectors in the world to justify a retail line. Or we would see retail lines for collectors being sold. The reason we don't is because there's not enough of us buying it. It's like this Catch-22. So they put Origins out there to excite retailers but the only retailer with a big capability was Walmart. And the only way to get Walmart to get on board was to give them an exclusive window. But by giving them an exclusive window, then the trickle down effect was it screwed up um, distribution for a year and a half. And the brand manager who was on origins has now left and probably gone to Barbie because brand managers only last a year and a half. So they don't look at things long-term anyway they just see the success they had at Walmart and I'll let the next guy clean up the mess. And that vicious circle happens over and over and over again. And that's the problem is, you know, it's, they needed a movie. If they wanted to bring masters of the universe back to retail in a way that would really work, they needed a movie. And (laughs) it's just unaffordable because a movie is going to cost, you know, a billion dollars. You got to spend half a million dollars making it with CGI and half a million dollars marketing it because no one's heard of He-Man because it's been 40 years. And that's why Sony can't get the movie made. And yet they're never going to release those rights by, because if they just keep like green lighting scripts and then canceling the green light six months later, it extends their ownership over the live action rights. So oh, it's God. like He-Man is in this like vice of like doom. It's just, and like I'm watching almost like with popcorn on the sidelines being like, oh man, could you screw this up anymore? Like, you know. Um, Here, let's okay, let's answer. Answer. Oh, excuse me. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was done. I, my no, was no. Um, there's an echo. Oh, okay. There was an echo. So does Scott think the kids show will be more or less accepted by fans than Revelations? It totally depends on the show. If it's well done, you know, there's always like the idea that there's not room for new kid shows is a fallacy. Look at Ben 10, you know, that came out of nowhere and became ridiculously huge. Um, so that, yeah, that's the best shot right now. Um, Revelations is never going to be anything because you cannot sell a collector line at retail. They're just, they're not enough collectors to, justify the sales for retail space. So it's always been about this kid line. It would have been better to have a movie to relaunch the line of retail, but if anything is going to work, it's going to be the CGI show. Gotcha. I hope it works. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then from M Griffin, isn't the kid show under the same IP issues as revelations? 
meaning that Universal owns it? What is it? Possibly. Yeah, I mean, I basically, the reason you're seeing so much He-Man put out right now by Mattel is that, you know, they have three years left on the license. Right. And so, you know, people like I, it's funny because I, I see people, you know, on like He-Man.org saying, you know, well, why would they invest all of this to put out two shows and all this product if they're just going to lose the license in two years? Okay, well, let me flip that over. If they have you to make as much money, right? Well, if you had the rights to Star Wars for two years, wouldn't you do everything you could with that license? That's true. So it's like, yeah, the clock is ticking, but they have the rights to do whatever they want for the, or sort of, for the next two and a half years, three years. So of course, that like they're going to put out every possible thing they can, and if the license expires on them and they don't, they can't get it anymore. It's just like losing WWE or DC or Star Wars or any other license a toy company has and then doesn't have. But they have a window, so they're going to maximize it. Right. And then this is something that has been rattling around in my head. So 2000X, or the MYP show, was actually almost 20 years or close to it. Are you afraid that we're, you know, because of this separation amongst the fans or this great debate, do you think we'll have to wait another 20 years before we get another He-Man show? Um, like if these bomb? Yeah. Um, or, or let me ask you this, because this has been rattling in my head as well. Let's say nobody liked this show or what's happening now. A majority of fans so far is disliking the show. Do you think Mattel's actually trying to sabotage in some way? <laughs> just, just, to, you know, maybe universal doesn't want to use He-Man and they'll continue to license out He-Man to Mattel. That, I mean, I know it sounds it no, sounds no, ridiculous, but it doesn't, it doesn't sound ridiculous. Sorry to cut you off, Tom. No, no, that's fine. It doesn't because I used to get that all the time at Mattel. Is like people coming up with these like grand conspiracy theories, you know, that like I'm trying to do this or Mattel is trying to do this or Maddie Collette. Oh my god! Like no, nobody like the to toy industry is not the mafia. Okay, like it's not the X File. Actually, like. There's no time to do that. Um, the idea that any company would deliberately like put out, spend millions of dollars on bad content to screw another studio. Like what, do, I mean, this is a publicly owned company with stockholders. Do you know how pissed the stockholders would be if they did that? Not like sure. the short answer is no. Okay. And the long answer, it's just because like, they didn't put out content hoping it would be bad. They put out content hoping it would be successful. Mm -hmm. What the mistake they made was the marketing, which trickled down to a lot of fans, you know, being angry. And you can see that on Rotten Tomatoes. Right. Um, yeah, there's no conspiracies. There's no grand, like, agenda. They're just trying to move the stock price. And you saw how, like, okay, perfect, how He-Man, both shows, Revelations and the CGI show, were sort of revealed first to the world in the right. stock presentation earlier this year. Right. Right. That shows you perfectly where the agenda is and what the most important thing is to Mattel, pleasing totally. the stockholders and showing them, look what we have that we're developing to try to make money so that our stock goes up and you get more dividends. That's right. it. If you're ever asking, why does a company do something? The answer is always, right. So the stock will go up. 
Gotcha. Every time. <laughs> gotcha. And I meant selling toys, not toys in general. So let's take a look at Wave 2 real quick. Oh, I didn't even know just... what was revealed. Yes, they did Don't reveal me. them. All right, what do we got? We got man at arms. Okay, he looks yeah. cool. He does. Now, here's something. Maybe you can answer this. Do you think we'll ever get something that looks like this as an action figure? Because no. this is... Oh, really? Okay. Because <laughs> No, I'm glad you answered it. Because I, I was like, this would make a great action figure, but it, it could be just me then. How about something a, akin to this? Or is this no. just like... No? Okay. If it was on Maddie Collector, 1,000% yes. If gotcha. it's a retail... I mean... Yeah, because even look what they did at convention. They just did one of their characters from the show. Right. Like, okay. they're taking, I mean, which is what Mattel honestly used to do before. Like, when I came and sort of took over, I not only was I doing Maddie Collector, but I really sort of took over Mattel's Comic-Con presence. Right. Um, like, you might, the year before, you know, before I came along, really the items that went to Comic-Con were, um, and I can go like 10 minutes over the hour. I know we're getting close. Okay, thanks. Because uh, my next meeting is until 5.15. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, like they were, you know, they were basically selling, you know, like slightly like Shira or Keldor, very great ideas for Comic Con exclusives. But right. you know, it was very, you know, high level of the, those characters. Versus then, okay, look at like the kind of things that happened under my watch for Comic Con, um, just for Motu. We were selling like Queen Marlena as an astronaut and. Right. Hero and oh, what else did we do for what were the other Comic Con? Uh, Vicron, you know, like because I would, you know, unless, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, no, you unless this line became like a subscription based Maddie Collector kind of thing, figure of the month only sold online, gotcha. um, even retail exclusives are going to be like, re, like, like Faker, like it's a repaint with a new head, you okay. know, um, yeah. Yeah, because cool, they yeah. just released this gentleman right here, Scareglow. But get this. The only part of his body that glows is the head. Really? The, 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 the paint on the arms and the chest doesn't? No. Well, that's lame. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he comes in a great box, but I mean, not as great as the King Grayskull box came in. I mean, well, it had sounds and stuff. Perfect example, like Scareglow is a main character on the show. I mean, he's got a whole episode dedicated to him as the villain. Right. And like, I get why he's their Comic-Con exclusive because he's very popular with the fans. I mean, like if you look on my Spectra Creative YouTube channel, I do a director series going figure by figure in classics. There's right. a plug number four. And um, Scareglow is like one of the most watched videos, like by far of any. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, like it's funny. I'll go back. Like I'll look at that playlist just to see like which ones have been. And like Scareglow has like twenty, thirty percent more views than almost any other figure. Like mm. it's crazy. So um, yeah, you know he's so. But they just took. It's not like they did like some crazy variant of Scareglow or did an all glowing Scareglow, knowing that the regular one would be in the main line. You yeah, know, they just took Scareglow. Well, yeah, because there are rumors saying that Wave 3 or 4 will actually have a, a direct-to-market Scareglow. Probably. You know? Like, if I was... Yeah, I'd want to maximize it. Okay, we got Tila in her... Uh, Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. I want to see... Yeah, I'm seeing these for the first time. This is actually kind of cool. Yeah, uh, so this is Tila with her yeah. Star Wars haircut. And then Spike Or. Real quick, why would you... Why are people calling that a Star Wars haircut? Who's I hair... Think I think um, the new show, The High Republic, 
there's, I believe it's two characters that have the same exact haircut. Okay, got it. I'm not familiar with that at this point. I'm like, okay. who's haircut? Like, I've heard that because it's, I'm like, that doesn't look like Ray or even like. Um, no, I, I think it's only in the comics right now or, or the extended universe. And so All there's right. Spike Orr. All right. Cool. And then, and Beast Man. Okay. Beast Man. Now, I like this for, I know a lot of people don't, but I like this. This is an aged, like, grizzled Beast Man. So I'm definitely picking him up. And it so, looks like they've even gone a little bit happier with the deco, too. Like, yes. The first wave looked really deco sparse. Yeah, definitely. Um, and again, you know, it's like, it's cool to see that these are characters from this show. You know, you know, they're not trying to be filmation or classics or, you know, 2000 X. And if you're mm-hmm. a fan of this show and you want to be able to collect the master of the universe universe in revelations, look, you can do that. That's cool. Yeah. And here are the minis that were just announced. Oh, they're doing minis too. We got Fisto. Yep. Skeleton Skele- God. God. Beast, Beast Man. Man. And Whiplash. And, and now Metallic Whiplash. I guess he he must have drank from the cup of Triclops, and you know he's got like a like a eye thing. Hey, you know if you can use the tool and modify it slightly. I mean, tools are freaking expensive. People do not still do oh, yeah. a million times, and they just still don't believe you. <laughs> now let's talk about the animation. Powerhouse, in my opinion, did a great job. I wasn't too crazy about some of the CGI scenes. They just didn't look quite right, but yeah, I thought the vehicles, like the rotons and stuff, really stood out. And right, looked, but like inside Castle Grayskull and that like forest thing mm-hmm. it was like beautiful. Right, I love that. Like that animation looked gorgeous. Yes, I totally agree. I mean, the the only nitpick though, I, I can't understand why they changed Orgo's eyes. I mean, it's starting to grow on me a little bit, but it's still. Like the first time I saw it, I thought it was Driel. Mm. You know, I, I think I'm used to seeing this type of workout. You know, that that lovable little scamp. Twenty percent different. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay. That's true. That's all. He's also got that thing dangling from his hat. Yeah. Well, he didn't. Yeah, that was later on when he got sick. But yeah. Twenty percent different. It's pro- there's probably honestly a legal clause that they had to make sure it was some percentage different. I mean, I'm quoting the Star Trek percentage, but, you know. Right. So. So, apparently, part two will be either in December or January. And Kevin Smith has said if there is a possible season two, it won't be out until at least 2023. (laughs) So. uh, No, no, that's fine. What would you like to see from the part two? Like if this universe continues, correct. Um, I would love to see like all those Preternia characters like come to Eternia somehow and like do stuff. I'd love to see Zodak um, and some cosmic stuff. I'd love to see the Horde and/or the Snake Men. Yes, uh, I'm dying to see an updated version of the Horde. Yeah, I think that. I mean, I know again if legally they can do that. There's issues. Um, I'm like looking at my He-Man shelf to like, like, cause I'll have that, like my favorite figure. Stra- I mean, where's Buzz off and Stratos? Um, well, where's I'm, I'm waiting for Ram Man. I want to see which way they go. Like 2000 X Ram Man, classics Ram Man, or old school filmation Ram Man. Yeah. Like what was with all the characters in the opening party scene 
where it was just like, we're going to put animal heads on everybody. Like, yes. And know, then you, you have the one guy. Um, I can't remember his species name. Uh, or the, from the, 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 the stink or ones. Correct. Um, yeah. So like, why didn't they just do like Caligars and Andrenids and, you know, other established species? Why is it like, exactly. oh, we're going to give this guy a bunny head and this guy a wolf head. <laughs> and like, they're all, you know, going to stand upright like humans and not have like bunny proportions or something. Like, I don't know. It just made me laugh. Like, really? There's, there's established stuff like you could do. This could yeah. have been a scene, you know, it could have been like, whoa, there's like, you know, a buzz off guy in there. And there's like one, you know, a gar, you know, cyclone guy in there. And instead they just like do like, you know, bunny dude and wolf dude and dog man. Yeah. Whatever. So, I'm I'm hoping that it gets better. You know, I was really looking forward to this and I, I was a little let down, but I'm optimistic for part two now. And a couple of quick uh, notes I just want to add. So Q and Max now has Masters of the Universe license. So we're going to start seeing some Q figs from them very soon, hopefully. Uh, faking Filmation from our good friends Rob McCallum and James Etock is now on Indiegogo. So if you missed their Kickstarter and want to be a part of the or get uh, a DVD of the movie, you can now do it on Indiegogo. PowerCon is this September. I'm sorry? I'm so, sorry to cut your, your announcements off, but they got through the legal issues with that whole faker thing? I, thought uh, they I think that's what the movie's about. Oh, it's about them fighting the cease and desist. Got it. Possibly. I know we're going to see something come out of it. Uh, Yeah, but they're on Indiegogo. So if you missed it the first time around, you have an opportunity to join. PowerCon is this September 11th and 12th in Anaheim, California. It's a fantastic convention. If you love He-Man, I highly suggest you attend. And this is going to be crazy. Uh, Scott, where can people find you besides, uh, your Spectre creative YouTube channel? Uh, in, in your dreams every night. <laughs> um, so yeah, so spectrecreative.com uh, is my company website. I'm the creative director where I help people with branding, retail development, product development, uh, lots of different creative needs. Um, I also, I work with a team of fantastic people, including, my partner uh, has her master's degree in child play therapy from NYU. So we really, what we offer clients is understanding the emotional connection between toy and consumer or even product and consumer. Doesn't I, I have clients that do beauty products. Check out avocadoshair.com uh, uh, for an amazing beauty product. One of my clients. Um, always love to plug, plug them. Um, so yeah, uh, so spectrocreative.com, my YouTube channel. I am on Twitter a little, but pretty much YouTube is where I live on social media. And I'm always hanging out at the Starbucks in High Point on Main Street. So, you know. <laughs> Here, uh, one last quick question. I, I This guy's been with us the whole time. So if someone else, uh, Grayskull, comes in and saves the day, does it weaken He-Man as a brand lead? Like, I have the same problem with Miles Morales' Spider-Man. Hmm. You know, uh, you have all these different he-men, if you will, and does it take away from the actual character? Like, does he-man always have to be the guy who saves the day? The exactly. To make it a Motu thing. Um, it, that's an interesting question, and I mean, I don't know if there's a direct answer. It's like you know, if Robin saves the day, or 
you know, Commissioner Gordon saves the day is it no longer a Batman story. Um, you know, I mean, there's definitely fan expectation for that. I think that people are so used to that, that there, you know, such a precedent has been set with He-Man as the lead. Um, you know, it's gonna, it would depend on the circumstances, you know, how it's done. Um, so you're saying it's more of the situation more than the actual character. In a way, you know, it's like, if it, it depends how it's handled, where, what this particular story is trying to tell. But I think the biggest thing is we, we have to let go of the idea that there's one Motu continuity out there because there clearly isn't factually right. and legally. And just be open to, you know, different interpretations of the characters and like what you like, don't like what you don't like. And, you know, expect the unexpected. Like, we're, you know, filmmate, if there was a He-Man movie and He-Man didn't save the day, that would be different. How so? Because a movie is a different medium. Um, it's more of a giant popcorn stadium celebration of the IP, um, you know, like, and it's got, it, you know, it, it's, it's taking the brand to, a, I mean, I know there was the 87 movie, but it's taking it to a different, you know, movies are a very different type of content than TV. TV is more or less consumed at home by yourself. A movie pre-COVID, whatever, um, you know, is consumed with strangers sitting in the dark, staring at a flickering screen. Um, you know, I, I was a film major. There's whole theories about this, but okay. it's a communal experience. And I think that if the movie didn't follow a templated concept of like filmation, that I would have an issue with too. But sure. if, a, if, a, if a streaming show wants to be different, I mean, look, Marvel is doing a what if show, you know, yeah. like, so there can be other interpretations of the brand. You can enjoy it or you can't. But I think that, yeah, I think with a movie, He-Man has to save the day. It has to be He-Man versus Skeletor at the end. Like, go, like I actually wrote a He-Man movie. It's right. on my channel. If you go to my channel and you search He-Man movie, you will see, and I, I basically walk through visuals of the 30-page uh, treatment of what it would be. And, like, to me, that's exactly, and it's, it's been very positively received, let's say that. I've gotten a lot of, you know, people are like, wow, this was like, I would watch this. Why didn't they make this? So, right. You want to know what a He-Man movie should be like, and at least in my mind, I wrote it. So there you go. All right. Well, thank you so much, Scott, for being with us. I hope everyone enjoyed it, our uh, presentation. I'm bottom line. I'm hoping part two gets better. I'm hoping you know it. Just I don't want to see a divided fandom. I know you know that's a lot to ask for, but I want to get everybody on the same page, and you know just. Happy to, you know, all talk about He-Man one day. So thank you, Scott Knightlick, once again. Uh, People of Eternia is on all your major podcasting platforms. Please subscribe and give us a like and review. Thank you all for participating and who's ever watching. Uh, I'm Tom Romero. And I'm Scott Knightlick. Okay. Play with your toys. I know that's my toy lines one, but I'm still looking, folks. Take care. People of Eternia podcast is a Toylines podcast production. Intro and outro music is by Brian Salvatore. Cover art is by Tom Derenick and Andrew Kramer. Special thanks to Scott Knightlick and Spectre Creative. 
Email us at peopleofeternia.com. Follow us on social media at People of Eternia. Voiceover outro is provided by me, Amani. Come back next time for another powerful episode of People of Eternia.